Hey there, I'm Ian. And I'm Rachel. And we want to welcome you to our Building Contenders podcast. Here we share messages, sermons, and our weekly conversations to equip you to contend for the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy it. Blessings. Blessings. Uh, yeah, so good morning. Uh, anybody not heard me before? A couple of people? Okay. That's great. If you get confused by my accent, nudge someone. They might have the interpretation of tongues for you. Um, but yeah, so thank you, Jerry. Thank you for the welcome. We have an amazing uh, couple of days here. Who was at the school? Terrible, wasn't it? It was terrible. Um, we love coming here. We love coming to... Uh, Pastor Jerry and Joy and just hanging out and we thank God that, that he has brought them into our lives as well. So, uh, And we also feel pretty special coming here truthfully. So you, you all do a great job of making us feel special. And we have moved from Chicago into San Diego, uh, so we're no longer threatened by winter. <laughs> well, for 19 years I have hated the fall because it is the smell of death and the threat of winter. Um, I play golf, so, you know, living in Chicago is hardly optimum for playing golf, but anyway. But now I live in San Diego. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) So when when Christina said, hey, has God done anything for you this year? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, So, yeah. And yes, I, I do believe that I have been called as an apostle to, uh, you know, by Jesus, recognized by the church. And one of the things, I, I don't know if you know about this, but apostles, and if you're around an apostle, you'll start to feel like this. You'll start to feel very apostolic, because apostolic means that you look like an apostle, uh, specifically your apostle. But, but one of the things apostles are is that we are built for war. We actually love a good scrap. We do. We like a good fight. You know, when everybody else is going, oh my goodness, what season we're in? All the apostles are going, this is great. This is so good, you know. Uh, and of course, one of our favorite scriptures is, uh, is Ephesians 6, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with strength, through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Isn't that great? Supernaturally infused with strength. Stand victorious with the force of His explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. It's in, it's in, well, we'll come back to that. Your hand-to-hand combat, right? This is hand-to-hand combat. There is no prayer meeting in this to cast down devils, just to be clear. This is a hand-to-hand combat that we get to do. It's not with human beings, but is with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms, for they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits, that hold this dark world in bondage. And because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. For you're destined for all things and will rise victorious. 
Just reading the Bible. All I'm doing. It's it's interesting. The you know it, within within Hebrew, the word Satan, um, it's it's actually always the Satan. It's never just a, a person. And there's really no credible scholar that believes Satan is a person. They believe it's a role. Now the devil, Lucifer, uh, you know, is a person. He's the chief of the powers of darkness, right? But the actual role, Satan, is known as the accuser. The Greek word for accuser is categorical. Where we get the word categorize? The role of Satan, the role of the Satan, the role of the accuser of the brethren, the role of the one that's actually supposed to divide us, that role relies on the fact that we're going to categorize each other. You're this, therefore you're not this. You're going to be this, therefore I actually don't need to interact with you because you're this. It's exactly the same thing that a political and religious spirit does. It's the very essence of a political and religious spirit. The political and religious spirit will define people by what they're not, not by who they are. They, they define people by their history, not their destiny. They define people based on a judgment over who you are so that I don't have to love you. Like, if there's one thing we know, and, you know, we get asked all the time, what's God doing in this season? Well, I'm, I'm going to try and get into that. Um, and I'm not saying I have the all, the, all the answers, uh, because we have the mind of Christ, right? It's not me. I don't have the mind of Christ. We do. The church does. Uh, so, so I'll try, try to get into one of the things I, I think that the, the enemy's doing. But one of his major strategies is always to let you think that you're done. This is as good as it gets. The great lie, as, is, as it has been, so shall it be. Things will never change because you're not going to change, therefore I can't be happy. You're done. This is it. It's over. You know, Scripture talks about we, 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 we have... We have this guy called a Abraham, and, and he's first called Abram, and then he calls himself Abraham. God says, you need to change your name. And so I always picture the scene, this guy, Abram, changing his name to Abraham, which means the father of nations, and going up to people and say, hi, I'm the father of nations. Oh, really? How many nations do you have? Uh, none. <laughs> many children do you have? Um, none. And, and I, I wonder what it's like to be Abraham and Sarah and to be waiting for years, you know, 20 years on a promise. And you realize that you're now 100 years old, 99, 100 years old, thereabouts, and the promise is highly unlikely. All right, we're going to keep this PG. <laughs> the, the promise is highly unlikely, and to do anything to make the promise happen is not as easy as it used to be. Can I say that? Is that okay? 
but you still need to like do something to do the promise, right? Because faith without works is dead. Right? And, and we don't want a dead faith. We want an actual alive faith. And you kind of like, you know, what, what, what does it look like to be going after the promise of God during a period when it feels absolutely impossible? Because the lie of the enemy is this will never change. That we're going to go back to a new normal, and it's going to be even more depressing than the current normal that we're in. I, I, I fully believe that in this season here in the United States, because that's where we're called, we're called to be missionaries to your pagan land. Um, <laughs> just joking. In San Diego, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I do feel that we are, we're at the, the, uh, the, we're about to turn a chapter on this season, and it's not going to feel like that, because everything in the enemy's camp wants to draw us back into the old chapter. Everything. That, that we're going to have to, like, we, we battle, we battle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And the only way we do that is by renewing our mind. It's how we do it. The mind is actually the weakest part of our being because we haven't learned how to strengthen our mind or for our mind to be renewed. So we're tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We believe this, we believe that. And if you believe that the media has got your best interests at heart, wake up. It absolutely does not. It is designed to, for one thing, and that's to make money. And what is it they used to say? If it bleeds, it leads. Not designed for your best interest. But the Word of God, however, is designed for your best interest. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so that you're protected as you confront the slanderer. For you're destined for all things and will rise victorious. Now, someone, some people do this ministry where they you know, teach you how to put on the armor of God every day. I got to be honest, I prefer to just never take mine off. Amen. I'm, I'm going I'm to go with that. I'm just going to, and maybe it, if it needs adjusted, I'll adjust it, but I'm not taking the armor of God off. I'm not taking the truth off, the righteous. I'm not taking any of those things off, the faith. I'm not going to do that. Um, so, so, yeah, so what's been happening? Early on in this, in this uh, the last time I was here, I don't know if you remember, but the last time I was here, I said, hey, just get ready because you haven't been this way before. Yeah. I must be prophetic or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been the Lord. Because um, I don't think any of us have been here before. And what, 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 you know, at the start of this, I'm like, God, what's going on? And I would ask, I, I would hear friends of mine who are um, kind of, you know, big names in our circles, and they would be saying, you know, the Lord is sending His angels to you uh, to help you. And I'm, I'm experiencing the complete opposite. I'm experiencing the angels actually withdrawing, because I'm one of these weird angel-y people, saying the glory is the book out there, you can, you can do it. But um, I'm, I'm experiencing what we used to call uh, being returned to base. And that's the phrase that I got. I felt that God had actually summoned um, a lot of the angels to return to base to prepare 
for what's coming. Now the devil and all the powers of darkness got wind of this and decided they needed to do something in reaction to what heaven was about to do. This season we're in globally, and this is a global thing, this is not confined to the United States, right? This is, a, this ha- this is happening globally for, in our home, in the UK and Ireland. It, it's happening everywhere. And, and it's probably the first time that I can recall or I'm aware of the enemy having a global reaction. I, I want you to remember that this is the enemy's reaction to what God is about to unleash on the earth. This, listen, the angels were not being called back to prepare for this season. And you know it's not just been COVID-19. It's been anger, bitterness, hurt, rejection, betrayal, confusion, a spirit of confusion unleashed on the earth. Because we don't know what to believe, who to believe, or anything. We don't know nothing. It's been this season, and that has been the enemy reacting because God is about to, and of course, about to with God can mean 20 years, as you hear from Abraham. But God is preparing to unleash on the earth a move that has never been witnessed before. There have been generations speaking about a one billion harvest or a one billion soul harvest, that we're going to see a billion souls come into the kingdom. I actually think that's underestimating what God is about to do on the earth. I think we are about to see nations truly discipled for the first time. I think we're about to see what it looks like when the lamb and the lion walk walk, or lie down together. I think we're about to see what it looks like when the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Not the self-righteousness that the religious spirit wants to put on us. Well, you're not as good as me. I have this lawn sign. So you couldn't be as good as me. Like I I have witnessed self-righteousness at an unprecedented level being released even over the church. Where we start to just gesture. I tell my friends, if I need a lawn sign to tell you that uh, hate doesn't live in my home, I have failed. I have failed. As a human being, as a friend, as a brother in Christ, I have failed. And help me, help me be better. But there's this unleashing of self-righteousness and this religious spirit throughout the earth at the minute and a political spirit that just seeks to divide. I am better than you because X. And meanwhile, God is planning something incredible. It's funny, you know, the the disciples never really got it. I don't think Judas got it. I don't think Peter got it. In Acts chapter 1, it's like, well, God, are you going to take up your sword and have this political solution? And and Jesus is like, do you know what would be really good for you, Peter? If you just go up and get filled with the Holy Spirit, that would be really good. Because somehow we're trying to look for uh, a solution politically that Jesus said isn't there. The solution is not political. The solution is actually the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. That's the solution. That's what people are crying for right there. They're not crying for better equipped orphans. 
The earth does not groan for better equipped orphans who are prepared to use the weapons of the enemy to try to do God's work. The earth is groaning for the manifestation of sons and daughters of God. When, 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 this, when, when the devil himself, when the serpent in the garden is saying, are you really like God? Eve's response should have been, heck yes. Of course I am. I'm made in his image. Right? She just forgot it for a while. And the same when these Satan is actually in Job and and what's happening in Job is really interesting in that sort of like divine council meeting that's happening. And, and God says, have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody like him. And the accuser says, I don't think you know who he is. He's saying this to God. And here we are, we're in a season where, we're, we're, you know, where I want to manifest as a son. Yeah, I'm going to tell you who I, who I am by my destiny, not by my history. And people are like, well, I, I don't think you're saying the real thing. It's like, I know God says this person's this, and this person's this, and this person's this, but I know better than you, God. And you've just become an accuser. And not only an accuser of the brethren, but actually an accuser of God himself. Because you're saying you're more compassionate than God. You're more righteous than God. But just because God accepts them, you don't have to. We have to be really careful. So what, what's he doing? What's he about to do? It's been, it's been an interesting seven or eight months. Interesting. That's a euphemism for, good Lord, what's going on? <laughs> it's, it's been interesting. A couple of, couple of months ago, I, I had an encounter that I want to tell you about. And, and the first one was I, I, I saw the, the tabernacle or the, the tent of meeting in Moses and Exodus. You know, I saw, I saw the tent of meeting and I saw the tent of meeting and what was happening was that it was pretty scary. Like the presence of God isn't always, you know, not scary. C.S. Lewis writes he's not, a, he's not a tame lion, but he's very good. Like I feel a little bit afraid of being around this lion. Yes, but, but he's very good. He's just not tame. He can be a wild lion. And, you know, there's this presence of God that's manifesting in dark clouds. Now, honestly, if any of us would see a dark cloud, we'd think that must be the devil. <laughs> must be the devil. It's a dark cloud and there's thunder and lightning. Couldn't possibly be. I have no peace about going in there. <laughs> you know that's a nonsense, don't you know that? Like, I have a real peace about this is a nonsense. Should I explain that? Do I need to explain that? Okay. So... Um, peace is no indication that you're in the center of God's will. I would actually suggest that storms are the, are the indication that you're in the center of God's will, and it's your ability to have peace through the storms is, is what we're called to do. You know, Jesus wasn't, for, I would suggest that Jesus wasn't frustrated that the disciples didn't calm the storm. He was frustrated that they weren't able to sleep through the storm. You know, so this, like, you know, when God calls you, um, 
Jeremiah, before you were formed, uh, I knew you and I called you to be a prophet, prophet of the nations. Uh, no thanks. Right? That's his response. No. No, I'm good. I'm good here. We're, we're good. Gideon, mighty man of God, mighty man of valor. No, no, I'm good. Right? Because there should be something terrifying when you're actually doing what God's called you to do. Or else we're just complacent. You know, let's rebuild the ruined cities. Oh, no, no thanks. I'm good. So, so there's this, this, this tent of meeting, and it's storms, and it's thunderclouds, and the nation of Israel are looking out. They go out of their tents, and I'm seeing this happen. They go out of their tents, and they're looking at Moses, and they gesture at worship. They fall to their knees outside the tent, or outside their own family tent, but they don't go in. One man does, that's Joshua, and he actually hangs about there longer than even Moses does. Like, can you imagine being led by a, by a cloud by day and a fire by night? Like, that would be pretty terrifying. Oh, the fire started, here we go, off we go. <laughs> Let's keep walking. They were in about 11 places, I think it was, over the 40 years. <clears throat> so I'm seeing this, this, this tent of meeting, and I, I, I won't read it all out, but it's in... It's in uh, Exodus chapter 32, and you've got this fascinating story. And, and the context of it is that there are other gods, small g, right? There are other gods. It is possible to worship other gods, whether it's Mammon or Baal or whatever it is. It's possible to worship other gods. When God says in, in Exodus 20, you shall have no other god before me, he's not talking about your predilection for chocolate, right? He's actually talking about replacing him with somebody else. And what they do is they create this calf, and Aaron actually says, here is your God, small g, the one that brought you out of Egypt. Not good. Just not good. And God's saying to Moses, hey, you need to go down, and this is, this is what God says, you need to go down to those people you brought out of Egypt. Because, uh, you know, they've just made this golden calf, and they've said, this is the God that brought them out of Egypt, so you need to go and deal with them, because I'm actually going to kill them all. <laughs> and out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. And that's all really significant in other ways, but from you, I'm going to make a great nation, Moses. And Moses, Moses goes down and, of course, you know, addresses the issue. I love Aaron's response. Moses, you wouldn't believe this. We were just sitting here, and this golden calf came out of the fire. <laughs> wouldn't believe it. Amazing. So, um, so Moses goes down and you know breaks the tablets of stone. Why did this people do this? And, and on he goes, and then he goes to meet with the Lord. Moses goes to meet with the Lord again, and the Lord said, Moses. Your people are so obstinate. If I go with you, I'm afraid I'm going to kill them all. And Moses says, God, if, and God, sorry, God says, I, I'm just going to send an angel before you, which again has significance, uh, because they believed every nation was led by an angel. Um, and Moses said, but then we'll, we'll just be like everybody else. Like, if, if it's just an angel going before us, we'll be like every other nation. If your presence doesn't go with us, 
I'm going to stay here in the mountain where I know your presence is. And we're just going to be here. And then finally God said, okay, I'm going to go with you. But I might kill them all anyway. (laughs) So I was there, and then I was taken to this other scene where David, um, in, uh, I think it's in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, and David sees the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is, you know, wherever it goes, there's blessing around it. Like, wherever this goes, there's blessing. And the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of the presence of God on earth. And wherever this Ark goes, everybody's blessed. So David decides to bring the Ark to Jerusalem. And on its way to Jerusalem, uh, it slips, someone touches it, and they die. And David's like, whoa, let's just leave it here in Ebed Odom, I think it was. I'm just going to leave it here because that's scary. That presence of God stuff's scary. And three months later, he watches all, you know, the household that this uh, ark is in being blessed beyond measure. And David's thing is, okay, I need that in my city. That needs to come to my city. So David goes... And every six feet, he slaughters, you know, a bull, and he's dancing, and he's only wearing his whatever undergarments. And uh, his, his wife says to him, well done, big guy, that was really embarrassing. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing right now. It's just a, This is the NIV, the Northern Ireland version you're getting right now. Um, so... His, his, his wife is just disgusted that he's made a fool of himself. And David says this great phrase, I would be even more undignified than this. And I'm like, okay, God, what's this got to do with where we're at at the minute? What's, what's going on on the earth that this has got to do with me seeing Moses? And truthfully, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. This was all... deeply significant for me. And I think I shook all night Um, because I wasn't really anyway. Like, God, what's this got to do with with all of this? And I I, I felt that the Lord give me this interpretation of it. He said, "I'm, I'm actually reducing the church to its maximum strength at the minute. Like, not, not Christians, not, you know, he's not condemning people that know Jesus to something else. He says, but I'm calling a church who will be at its maximum strength, and this will be a remnant, a remnant who are marked by the three words, no matter what. No matter what. And, and that this was, this was most, this wasn't, this wasn't David saying, you know, I, I, I've heard it done to sort of encourage men to dance, you know, to do the charismatic sort of like pogo thing. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be undignified for your sports team, you can do it for Jesus. You can dance for Jesus. That's not what that's about. Because honestly, I'll be honest with you, if I'm dancing, all I think about is me. Even if we're going to a wedding and I'm dancing, all I'm thinking about is I look ridiculous. 
So, but that's, that's, not what, that's not what David's saying. David's not saying, I would be un, even more undignified. What David is saying is like the presence of God is the thing that will change my city. It's nothing else. And no matter what this costs me, I'm going after the presence of God in my city, no matter what. That there's no strategy, there are no programs, there's none of these things that will change the city like the marked presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God. Nothing else. Moses isn't saying, hey, I don't want to be like every nation because we need to be special. Moses is saying, since before I was formed, you've called me to do this, and I screwed up. I killed a guy and thought it was done, and you still came to me and called me. And I'm leading your people, this nation that will change the nations of the world, because of one thing and one thing only, they are marked by the presence of God. They are simply known among the nations to be marked by the manifest presence of God. The, I know God's omnipresent, right? God's omnipresent. He's here. He's living inside me. I can't get any closer. But there was this presence of God that is the kabad. It is the glory, the weight of the, of the Most High God. The weight of the Most High God, where the, where the priests were told in Solomon's temple couldn't even stand. And Moses is saying, I want that no matter what, even if it kills me, no matter what. And I had this sense that the people that gestured and were a little bit afraid of it, maybe we're going to be okay not being part of it. Just like Gideon, being reduced to your maximum strength. You see, the, the, the thing that, that some people don't know is that the presence of God actually left the nation of Israel when they were sacked by Babylon because they had rebelled so much. Because they had been disobedient so much, the presence of God lifted from the tabernacle or lifted from the temple. They couldn't be reestablished, and they tried everything to reestablish the presence of God by even being more strict on their rules. Does that sound familiar? Right? Well, we're not really experiencing the goosebumps anymore, so maybe we just need to not watch any movie. Right? We're going to put these rules in because we want to experience more of God. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes and actually reestablishes the presence of God. And do you know when He does it? When He leaves. It's better for you that I go, He said. It's actually better for all of you that I go and be with my Father. Now, first of all, He's going to rule heaven and earth from sitting at the right hand of God, which sounds like a good plan to me. But the other thing was that in Pentecost, what is the mark of the presence of God? The fire of God in the temple. The presence of God in the temple is always... Um, symbolized by, by fire. And what happens when the Holy Spirit falls in the 120? They have tongues of it looks like on their heads, over their heads, that there is this fire. And you have right now the Shekinah glory of God manifest in the church because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'm there. And He's not saying, I'm just going to be there going, hey, that a boy. 
What Jesus is doing at that time is this eschatological promise to say the presence of God, the presence, the manifest Shekinah glory of God is reestablished when the church gathers. It's not a, it's not a, it's not an encouragement for small prayer meetings. Well, we're two or three are gathered. He's here anyway. Amen. So that's not what it is. It's like when you gather, I am in your midst. If you're the enemy and you don't want the presence of God to go, you know, you hear a rumor in heaven that God's about to do a presence-based thing throughout the earth, that his manifest glory is going to start to show up in places that we would find abhorrent. What, what if God started to show up in temples throughout the world and said, I'm Jesus, by the way? Like, what if that started to happen? You know what started to happen? You know that there are imams, uh, imams in, uh, in the Muslim world that are teaching their people, don't trust the dreams of the man in white? Because People are coming to Jesus because the man in white is coming to them in their dreams and saying, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes on to the Father, the one God, but by me. This is pretty exciting. And, and I think all that God is looking for in this season, it's a chapter. It's going to turn. The page is going to turn, right? Because sometimes seasons, you know, they come, well, all the time seasons come around and again. But the, so this is a chapter, and this, this is a bookend of this chapter because I think the enemy has started to hear the sounds of heaven. Um, I, I had this vision last week, and what it was was I could see uh, these heavenly beings, and they were going up to building equipment, try, you know, agricultural equipment, and they were covered in these waxy tarps, and they were pulling the tarps off, and they were starting to shout, it's time to build. It's time to build. This is it. It is go time. It's time to build. And they were actually going to these caches of weapons that had been stored underground, and they were uncovering it and saying, okay, it's time to build. It's time to build. I think that's the season we're in. Um, and the, God has not been delaying this. This is my parting shot. When it, when it talks in Habakkuk about, you know, that the, the, the vision will, you know, will come even though it's delayed. You know that scripture, it's just coming to my head, Habakkuk 2, I think it is. Uh, though, it, though it tarries, it will not tarry. Well, it's a bit confusing. Though it tarries, it will not tarry. And what it's actually saying is, though it's delayed, it's not really delayed, it's being prepared. So in this meantime of Abraham waiting for the 20 years, he was being prepared for what was to come. For Moses actually being in the wilderness farming for 40 years, he wasn't delaying a nation's freedom. He was being prepared. And I believe that in this chapter, that what's happening is God is calling a remnant from his people to say, will you be a people of no matter what? Let's stand. So, Father, I, I just want to renounce the accusations from the enemy 
and even from brothers and sisters. I just want to renounce those accusations because we are, we are one nation. The church is a, is a holy nation, a peculiar people. We are a royal priesthood. We, we're, we are actually one. Your word tells us to maintain the unity of the Spirit, not build it. And God, as we start to realize what this means to maintain a unity of the, the Spirit, it has probably got everything to do with not categorizing each other and actually seeing each other as children of the Most High God. Children of the Most High God that we are seated with. We're in a room with fellow sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we believe what you believe about each other. And God, I pray that this would be a people of no matter what. God, I pray that every single one of us in here would have that spirit within us that says, God, if your presence does not go with us, we're, we're not going anywhere. If we're not a people that, is mar that are marked by your presence, then we don't want to leave. We're just going to stay here. And God, I pray that while this is not the only gathering of believers in this region that's like this, I pray that that's, that would fall on Grace Christian Church, Lord. That that identity would fall on Grace Christian Church. Lord, that this vision that, that many, I know that many of you have seen this, but it's like a beacon that is being lit up from this church into the heavenlies. Like it's this, this beacon that's being lit up so that the entire spirit realm and people that are attuned to the spirit world will know that this is a place marked. And that's a really significant word, that it is marked by the presence of God, that we will start to see people walking in through the doors, overcome by the the Shekinah glory of God, overwhelmed by your goodness, convicted of their sin and turning to Jesus. Lord, that we would start to experience that as a people of God, Lord, that we would start to have like this new discipleship movement that's happening here where people are turning from their wicked ways and coming to a place where they know you're going to find you.